When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For Panther fans who want to keep pounding. For the war, 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 is a divisional weekend, ladies and gentlemen. The NFC South puts the first edition of Panthers v. Saints on the line. This one emanating live from Charlotte, North Carolina, as the Panthers play host to the team from down in the Big Easy. Welcome in. My name is Rob Brown, host of the Rob Brown Show in Greenville, South Carolina, right in the heart of Panthers country. And with me, as always, my co-host on the Views for Ministry podcast, he is the great one, Lonzo Reitzel, along for the ride. And Zoe, you know, uh, the, the the first segment here, we're actually going to be joined coming up here in just a few minutes by Jeff Nowak. He hosts the Inside the Saints podcast down in New Orleans, works for WWL AM and FM in the Big Easy. And we're going to talk to him about the Saints perspective on this matchup. But before we get there, let's talk about ours Before we start getting into X's and O's and schemes and tactics and all that, just overall, what's your gut feeling about this matchup? Not necessarily winner and loser, but just what type of game do you think we're going to see for our opening divisional matchup? I think we're going to see a lot of the same that we've already seen, except better executed. Because if you look at it, if you don't, in the Cleveland game, the second half or the, the last 35 minutes, as Matt Rule said, uh, the execution was excellent, uh, not in a Bret Hart kind of way, but close. Uh, they did really, really well. Uh, this last game, you start off fumbling the ball. I, I mean, the main thing is you hang on to the ball in the first game, you got a shot at winning. You hang on to the ball in the second game, you got a shot at winning. I don't know if they're uh, – stick them, I think, is is legal to a certain degree. Or just everybody needs to wear those gloves. I mean, if everybody wears gloves, you're probably not going to drop the ball. Um, I, I just think if you don't drop the ball, they got a really good shot of, of doing some really good things in this game. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit on, on our show earlier today uh, and throughout the week. How much different is this game if you take away either of the lost fumbles, but specifically the opening kickoff fund, a fumble from Chuba Hubbard, right? I mean, you take that fumble out of the equation Carolina's got the ball early. They're in a halfway decent starting field position at that point. They get to come out and run the offense and and build a little confidence in the first drive. And most importantly of all, you don't give away a field goal. Uh, What was the score difference in that game? A field goal, right? That Chuba Hubbard fumble was, I think, deadly. Uh, and, 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 you know, I know it's easy for us, and we talked about this earlier as well, I know it's kind of easy to look at the game as a whole and go, 
And we lost by a field goal, right? And not just a field goal, but a very long field goal in the dying seconds of that football game. But the reality is, if you lose by a field goal, it means that one play somewhere in the game that gets made could have been the defense, uh, could have been the difference, pardon me. It's one thing if you play relatively mistake-free football, the other team plays relatively mistake-free football, and they're just a field goal better than you. It's another thing when you can circle on the play sheet one play, like the opening opening kickoff fumble, and go, if that doesn't happen, if that one play doesn't happen, the chances that we at least go into overtime of that game dramatically go up at that point. Well, let me uh, let me add something to that because yeah. Robbie Robbie Anderson also fumbled, which led to three points. You take away both those fumbles, that's six points off the board. That's a Panther win. I agree. I agree. Uh, and 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 again, the two turnovers are, are killers, right? There are games you, you hear the phrase: "If you win the turnover battle, you usually win the game." And there's some some amount of truth to that. But we see games all the time where a team turns the ball over a couple of times and still wins the football game. We're not there yet, right? That's that's something that happens to Tom Brady and the Bucks or Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. It's not something that happens to a team that's on the outside looking in. Like, unfortunately, we just are right now. The truth is the truth no matter how much it hurts. You take those two fumbles off the board, we probably win that football game. We're probably one and one, and we got a different mentality coming back to Charlotte. It's a, it's a like it or not, or at least for me, it's a quasi negative mentality for the stat that we brought up in the last pod. Since the expansion to 14 teams in the playoffs, zero 0 and 2 teams have made it right now. We would have to make history to backdoor our way into a wild card. But losses like the loss we had to New York specifically to the Cleveland Browns as well, though we got jobbed out of that one. Those are the reasons that 0-2 teams don't make the playoffs. Uh, All I can say, though, is I very much hope you're right in that the execution is better. Because honestly, in both of those games, you can chalk the L's up to. As doom and gloom as some fans are being right now, in both of those games, we can chalk the L's up to little mistakes, right? We can chalk the L's up to a big-time sack being given away late in the game because Iki Aquanaru had the long splits. And instead of being on the hip of the guard, he was a step outside, and it let the blitz get through to Baker on a three-step drop where you can't afford it. Those little things get cleaned up, and this football team's 1-1, one one, maybe 2-0, and oh, and we're having a very, very different conversation about them right now. Oh, for sure. And, and the other thing is, if you look at the defense, even last week, as well as they played, there's like one series that they they went back to how they played the first week. One series. You take that series away, and the Giants don't score, and Carolina wins. I mean, it's just a matter of little things. Now, can this team get over those little things? Some would say the reason why they're struggling with it is because of coaching. And we both know, and so does every Carolina fan, that a coaching job could be uh, going bye-bye if they don't win this. And the other thing is the mentality of the players, even if you try to stay away from social media and, and TV shows, you're going to hear about the losing streak. And that definitely it gets, it gets in your heart, gets in your mind, it gets in your soul, it messes with all you are, and you're trying to, you try to shake that thing off. One little thing goes wrong, it's here we go again. you got to find a way to get past that. 
Is it one guy that gets you past that? Is it the entire team? I don't know, but they got to find a way. No, I, I for, for the record, I absolutely agree with that, right? Mentality is important. And, it, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on, oh, manifest your dreams into reality. But a positive attitude can change everything. And it's understandable why the Panthers would not have a positive one right now, especially considering we talked about this in the last pod, right? How do the Panthers reattain relevance amongst the talking heads of the National Football League? And the answer is win the game. But when everything you get, every time you get talked about, it's what? Matt Rule's getting fired and the Panthers suck. Well, that's going to get into the brain of even the most optimistic fan and especially football player this week against New Orleans, really good opportunity to fix that, right? Because let's look at the opponent we're taking into Charlotte on Sunday. You got a Saints team that went on the road to Atlanta in week one. By the way, they have opened up with back-to-back NFC South games. The Saints are opening with three consecutive NFC South games. If teams are putting a little more oomph into divisional games, the Saints would reasonably be a little bit more worn out after back-to-back slugfest with their biggest rival in Atlanta and then their second biggest rival in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady. So the Saints go on the road to Atlanta in week one, and what happens? Marcus Mariota looks incredible against the Saints, especially running the football. And the Saints, which were a a five-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, need their own last-second 50-plus-yard field goal in order to walk out of Atlanta with a very narrow victory. They come back home to Week 2. They've got Tampa Bay. Brady's coming down to New Orleans. And what happens in that? They play a real good game. What was it? 3-3 at the end of the third quarter. And then the Saints just ran out of gas. Now, the Saints have the same complaint that we had against Cleveland. The officiating kind of went the direction of Tom Brady in the end of that game. I actually agree with that sentiment for Saints fans, but I've told a number of Saints fans as well, hey, look, the referees can be as bad as they need to be. You turn the ball over, you throw three picks to Tom Brady, he's going to beat you 95% of the time, but they wore down and Tampa Bay got them at the end. It's a beatable team that is their own 50-yard field goal away from also being 0-2. The Saints might be good. They might be bad. I don't know that anybody for sure knows that yet, Zoe, but they are very much a beatable football team for the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. You know, and on the other side of that, uh, the Saints are looking at Carolina Panthers and thinking the same thing. They're 0-2. They've got a long losing streak. We're going to come in. We're going to get – get another win. This is going to help us. We're going to look better. Uh, so they're going to come in with the confidence thinking maybe this team is as bad as the media is portraying them to be. And that would be a mistake if they do that because the Panthers aren't bad. It isn't like they've been getting beat down and, and beaten by like 21 points every game and don't belong on the field. I mean, as bad as, as the offense played in the very first game against Cleveland, they were still in that game. This last game, the defense stepped up. This next game, which is with the Saints, it's time for the offense to step up and finally see Carolina play uh, as close to a complete game as they can at this early stage. I uh, so 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 I agree with that. Uh, it is a divisional game for New Orleans. Obviously, they are now one and one within the division. The Saints are a team that had playoff aspirations. Some sports books had the Saints as the fourth or fifth highest odds to make the Super Bowl. 
out of the NFC. They got a first-year head coach in Dennis Allen. It's not his first year as a head coach. He's obviously done it before. It did not go well for him in Los Angeles slash Las Vegas, but he's a guy who's got a little experience, obviously learned under Sean Sean Payton, Pete Carmichael, still calling the plays for New Orleans. But Jameis, right? Like, what do we make of Jameis Winston? You got a guy who last year before his knee exploded, Jameis Winston was going to win the NFL's comeback player of the year award. He was just going to. He was playing lights out football until the knee popped. He comes out this year. He has an okay game against Atlanta in week one. He throws three picks in Tampa against Tampa in week two. But then we also found out that Jameis Winston was playing with four fractures in his back. I'm not a doctor, nor did I stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. But that sounds um, bad and painful. And he played through that. If Jameis Winston is a little trigger shy from getting hit, This is the game where Brian Burns, this is a game where Derek Brown, this is a game where Etor Grossmatos, this is a game I need those boys to eat, right? I need you to cook. It's a Saints offensive line that's supposed to be good, but has given up pressures so far this year. This is arguably, arguably going to be the best defensive line the Saints have played all year long, and they have showed that Jameis can be gotten to. So I need the front four boys to cook, and I need them to eat, because if they do... They force the Saints into a more one-dimensional running team, and I feel much more comfortable about, about that, especially if Alvin Kamara is indeed still struggling with an ankle injury, as it is reported that he is. So I, I agree with you uh, as far as that goes, but don't sell Jameis short. We've seen other quarterbacks play with similar injuries. If I recall, I think uh, Cam Newton had uh, messed up back after his car accident. I think Tony Romo played with uh, some, some messed up back. Uh, and some other big-time quarterbacks have played with it before. So as long as they don't go in thinking, oh, he's hurt, he's not going to be able to do the things that he usually does, then they'll be fine. But he should be slower, absolutely, and he should be tentative. But he's he's a gamer. He's going to be out there. He's going to be playing hard. But you take a couple hits, you start feeling that a little bit more than you did at the beginning of the game. All right, to talk a little New Orleans Saints football, why not bring in a guy who covers the team for the Odyssey 2400 Sports Podcast Rotation. He is one half of the Inside Black and Gold Podcast, working for WWL AMFM down in the bayou, New Orleans, Louisiana. Our buddy Jeff Nowak joins us here on the show. Jeff, what's up, big fella? You know, uh... I'm ready to go. I'm ready for football, right? Uh, that that game last week, I was on the sideline for it. And I'm not sure I could, like if the Saints had to play the Bucks every week, I don't know if I'd be a football fan because it's <laughs> it's just miserable watching that. Like it's it's like watching a heavyweight fight that's just like it goes on for 10 rounds and nobody wins. Like it, 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 it's just going back and forth. Tom Brady is thrown into the dirt after. Like I timed the third down snaps in that game. He was getting the ball out in 1.2 seconds on like third and 11. And it's like, this is awful. This isn't great football. But, you know, the Saints lost. They're going up to Carolina. I know y'all think that everyone's overlooking the Panthers and maybe they are. But I guarantee you this team uh, is not going to go light knowing that it has an eight-hour flight ahead of them uh, that they have to digest whatever happens in this game. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a fun one, I think. 
So I, I have a simple question for you, Jeff, when you're on the sideline. Do you have any fear that you might get hit by a thrown tablet from Tom Brady? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And he, I have to stay on the opposite side of the field from him because he's going to spike at least one tablet. I'm honestly at this point, I'm more worried that Mike Evans is going to just like every time I'm walking down the street that Mike Evans might run across the road and punch me in the face because apparently that's what he does now. I. I, I mean, he's done it twice at Saints games, and it's like, oh, if I'm wearing a Marshawn Lattimore jersey, I might be in trouble. I don't know. I, you know what? We so so we sat in on Jeff's podcast a little while ago, Inside Black and Gold, which you can also find where podcasts are found on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Apple iTunes, or free on the Odyssey app if you want to listen and go behind enemy lines before our game on Sunday. Um, that is a guy in Marshawn Lattimore that we didn't talk about uh, as as kind of an interesting piece because we have seen that Baker Mayfield is an emotional quarterback right now. I do think he's been a little bit subdued since he showed up in Carolina, but he is an emotional quarterback, good, bad, or ugly, and there may not be a defensive back in the league that is quite as good at getting into the heads of quarterbacks as Marshawn Lattimore is. We know Evans ate the one-game suspension. Lattimore, who, by the way, I don't understand why he got ejected from that game, but that's another discussion for another time. Uh, what is the identity of the New Orleans Saints defense right now? Because, you know, in years past, it's been about getting to the quarterback, hustling the quarterback. We've seen it work. I mean, you mentioned a heavyweight fight where nobody wins. The Saints are 6-1 and one against Tom Brady in the regular season since he's shown up in Tampa but talk to me about what you genuinely think the identity of the Saints defense is and how you think it stacks up against what we've seen out of Carolina's offense so far. Well, I'll, I'll correct that. They're four and one against Tom Brady since because he's, he's been there for two years. That's right. Um, but they were four and zero going into that game. Then they lost in the playoffs. Obviously, anytime that comes up in a conversation with the Bucs, it's like oh, we got in the playoffs and they're not wrong. They've won two games in the Superdome. The Saints have won two games at Raymond James Stadium. And, I don't get it. Whatever. Um, you know, the, the thing that the Saints want to do on defense is they want to lock up your cornerbacks in man-to-man -man coverage, right? They, they want to be able to take away. I'm sorry. They want to lock up your wide receivers in man-to-man -man coverage. They want to be able to take away your top two options with two guys. Then they can keep two safeties over the top and they can just have the linebackers run the middle of the field and make you have to find a way to beat them. And that, so that's why they're aggressive in the draft at going after a guy like Marshawn Lattimore, Paul Adebo, Elante Taylor. You know, you took a guy at a cornerback in the second round because he profiles as an elite man, press man corner that you can just continue to, you know, rotate in. And so that's what they want to do. Now, if you go back, you know, not so much the, the matchup last year, but if you go back a few years ago when Teddy Bridgewater was there, what the Panthers were able to do effectively against the Saints was, you know, attack downfield, right? Because what the Saints want to do is just pin you to the sideline. And if you can run a route that kind of picks off that defender, and then you have the speed downfield in Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, you can make some hay against that secondary because they're not geared to play you over the top because they don't expect anyone to get there. Um, so I think over the first two games, it's been the defensive backfield that has stood out to me. But that's not what the Saints want to do. They want to get after the quarterback. And one sack through two games is definitely grating on that defensive you know, front, that front seven, because they've spent a lot of first-round picks on that, on that pass rush, right? Cam Jordan, obviously, was a first-round pick like a decade ago, so that doesn't really count. But you know, Peyton Turner was inactive last week. Their first-round pick from last year, he was a healthy scratch. 
Um, you know, Marcus Davenport hasn't really gotten a ton of pressure. So these are guys who have to step up. And I think if the Saints are going to dominate this game, you know, it, you know, not, not be competitive in it, if they're going to dominate it, then it's going to be because the pass rush wakes up and they're able to make Baker's life miserable in the pocket and force him to make decisions that, you know, might not be the best decision because he's under duress. If, if they allow Baker to sit back there and kind of pick them apart, because when you're going against man coverage, eventually someone's going to come open. You know, that's just how it works. Um, then they could run into some trouble, I think. Well, as someone who covers the team, let's go to the other side of the, of the field and to the offense. Which do you think is better, a hurt Jameis or a healthy Andy Dalton? That's that's the question, and you know the frustrating thing this week has been, you know we've we have asked Jameis how his back is feeling at least eight different ways and all these creative different wordings, and every time he answers with, "I just got to do a better job protecting the ball," which seems like a, an odd way to answer that question because that's not the question we asked. But <laughs> it's very clear that he is not interested in taking an excuse in terms of his back, but you do have to ask that question. The question is not going to go away, you know, especially if he comes out here and just doesn't look good again, you know, he's played seven quarters of, of rough football, right? He has played one remarkably good quarter of football, the fourth quarter against the Falcons where he could do no wrong. And the Falcons just, just caved in on themselves. But otherwise you have seen a guy who has struggled significantly and it's like you don't want to make the excuse that your back is is causing things then we have to just look at your body of work as okay you threw three interceptions in the fourth quarter of a big game that's a problem like you can't do that um and so like if if it is your back that is causing some mechanical issues and you're making bad decisions because of that well then yeah we have we have a way to fix that (laughs) which is you know you spent good money to bring in andy dalton right they sacrificed a comp pick which would probably been a third round comp pick to sign Andy Dalton when they did, because it counts against you know, Teron Armstead going to the Dolphins and Marcus Williams going to Baltimore. So you signed two players, so you don't get those comp picks. So like they didn't bring Andy Dalton in on a whim; they brought him in because they wanted him. Um, and so yeah, I think this is a game where I don't think they're going to sit him down. I really don't, you know, because he's a guy who wants to go out there, and I don't think that you're going to undermine your quarterback in that way this week. But if he struggles that you have to seriously consider, um, you know, week four and beyond what you're going to do there, because I don't know how quickly a fractured back heals, but you know, I, I have a feeling that sitting down for a couple weeks will help it. <laughs> so I, I think you just have to, you have to see how it goes in. And I also think we might be overvaluing one quarter of football against a really good defense, right? Like, I think the issue for Jameis in that game was a lot more about what, when he said this, it was impatience in the game plan. The Saints were more than happy to win another nine nothing game. I think if, if he continues to kind of check down and check down and force the Bucs to be the team that has to win that game, um, you know, the, the Saints have a better chance in it. And that's how you beat them with Taysom Hill as your quarterback last year. So, you know, I, I think we're going to learn a lot more about Jameis and if that injury is really affecting him this week. Um, but the, the Panthers, I'm sure, are not going to give him any. Um, any time to rest. You know, if they can take shots at him, they're going to take shots at him. Jeff Nowak hosts the Inside Black and Gold podcast, the podcast for the New Orleans Saints, available wherever Odyssey podcasts are found. Uh, you know, you talk about getting after quarterbacks, and I really think both defenses on the field Sunday, that is going to be the game plan, right? you got to get to Baker. you got to get to Jameis. 
force those guys to make mistakes. And we've seen them both do so this year. But obviously a big chunk of that is having to maintain honesty and integrity defensively because both of these teams have an exceptional weapon at running back. Christian McCaffrey for the Panthers, Alvin Kamara for the Saints. But both of these guys are also uh, dealing with ankle injuries right now. Now, McCaffrey, I am relatively sure, is just getting a, hey, let's keep as much tread on the tires as we can break, which is why he was listed on the injury report with an ankle for the Panthers this week. I think he's full go for Sunday. Kamara obviously missed last week, and who knows how different of a game Tampa v. New Orleans is last week if AK-41 is available for you guys. Do you have an update on Alvin Kamara? Is he going to be a go for Sunday? Is he going to be full go, limited role? And if so or if not, how does that impact what Dennis Allen's going to want to do offensively, pardon me, against Carolina? Well, I will clean up so it's a rib injury for Alvin, which I would argue is actually a worse injury to have as a running back in the sense that it's a very very targetable injury right <laughs> like if you're if you're looking at oh where am i going to tackle this running back it's like oh he has a he has a bum rib okay you're, you know i'm gonna put my shoulder in, into your ribs and we're gonna see how you handle it um but yeah that kept him out last week da said that he was very close to playing you know it was it was genuinely a decision that went up to game time and they ended up keeping him out and it was interesting watching him on the sideline you could tell like it was painful for him to be standing on the sideline he was pacing you know, prowling even the sideline, almost like a, like the like the head coach would, like Bruce Arians was for some reason. Um, and so he, he, he's gonna, he got in trouble for that, by the way. Yeah, as he should. What the? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not unusual for. And this is kind of a, a tangent, but like the issue wasn't, and they made it into like, well, the the Saints didn't give a spot, uh, like a a booth to sit in. It was like, well, no one gets an extra booth in the Superdome. It's an it's like a fifty year old building, and like there's not enough space to just hand out, you know like luxury boxes to people. And so it's not unusual for people to be on the sideline. I was on the sideline. There's a lot of people on the sideline, but you're not supposed to be pacing the edge of the field where the head coach is supposed to be. That's the issue. Anyway, moving on um, for Alvin. So the good sign this week for in terms of Alvin's availability last week, he practiced on Wednesday. He was limited on Wednesday, but then he was held out Thursday and Friday. And so when you start practice for the week and then you start missing practices, it's usually a sign that's like, yeah, you tried to give it a go and it didn't work. Um, and you, that's the point where you're like, okay, we're going to dial it back. This week, he practiced Wednesday and Thursday. He was limited. Um, but, you know, I think he's on track to play. I would, I would guess that unless he has the setback, he's ready to go. But I do think he's going to be limited in that game in some capacity. You, knowing a guy has a rib injury, you can't you know, plow him in between the tackles 10 to 15 times and be like, yeah, he's going to be fine. Don't worry. You know, you have Mark Ingram, you have Tony Jones, you have Dwayne Washington. I'm sure there's going to be a rotation at the running back spot, especially on early downs. But one thing that I've said about Jameis since the start, and, you know, he has not done anything to ease this critique. He does not use his running backs in the passing game anywhere near as good as you need to. For a team that has Alvin Kamara, like if you don't have an elite receiving running back, fine. You know, if you're playing with Ronald Jones, don't throw to him. He can't catch anyway. That's fine. If you're playing with Alvin Kamara and you are not feeding him the ball in the passing game, then you are not doing your job as the as the offensive leader of that team. And I would say the same thing about Baker. You know, if you're not throwing the ball to Christian McCaffrey, then you're not doing your job right. And you something needs to change. And so that's what I think when you're looking at Alvin in the offense and how Jameis operates in the offense, 
the amount of which he is, he's willing to just give Alvin the ball and let him make a play, give anyone the ball short of the, short of the, like the first down marker and allow them to make a play. This offense will operate better, but so much of the time. And last week was a good indicator of that where he threw to Chris Olave 13 times. He threw to a rookie in his second career game 13 times, connected on five of them. And I was like, this is a game where you just need to stack first down. You don't need to hit those big shots. But, you know, that's my main critique of Jameis. And not having Alvin, I think, was a factor there. So if he's in the game, I think that's where you you gain an advantage is he's he does not have an excuse to not check down to the running back because you have to get Alvin the ball no matter what. Um, so that's that's the difference. That's the big difference in terms of the Saints operating with him or without him. I think they actually ran the ball better without him because when he's not in there, I think the defense has a tendency to say, well, we don't have to worry about the run game. And so, you know, Mark Ingram ran for 60 yards on 10 carries in that game. He fumbled and that was rough. But, you know, I think that that's that's where you um, that's where you're going to see the difference. By the way, I, I uh, I'm from Ohio. I'm a big Ohio State fan. So. Uh, I don't think that he threw to Chris Olave enough, and hopefully he should do that this week uh, even more so. Although, um, if Chris Olave catches the ball, it's kind of scary. Can you talk about how many – is it weird having so many Ohio State players, so many players from one team on an NFL team? It's unusual. Well, yeah, yeah I was going to say he he threw to Chris Olave enough. He just didn't throw close enough to Chris Olave enough, if that makes sense. Like, he threw in his direction plenty. <laughs> he just didn't throw it where he could catch it. Anyway, yeah, no, it's it's kind of a running joke that, you know, it, when you watch an Ohio State game, you're just scouting, right? <laughs> like, it's like watching the next generation of Saints players because I think you have, you know, Michael Thomas, Marshawn Lattimore, even guys like Nick Vanette, right? Like, even even their depth guys are Ohio State guys. And so, yeah, it's kind of a running joke. Pete Werner's another one. Um, Malcolm Malcolm Jenkins was another one. You know, they, they, just, they just keep showing up. Uh, so, like, yeah, I mean when I was kind of going through my mock draft and trying to figure out, okay, they're going to draft a wide receiver. It was kind of an open secret that they were going to draft a wide receiver. Like, Oh, which one? There's a lot of wide receivers in the draft. Oh wait, two of them are from Ohio state. Yeah. They're going to get one of those guys. You know, <laughs> uh, It was, it was like never a question and it's, it's not a coincidence, right? That's what you kind of learn as you watch this team build a roster. And it's like, they didn't just end up with Ohio state players. They feel comfortable about the evaluations they are getting from the players at Ohio State, right? Like you have connections with coaches. It's the same reason they feel comfortable taking guys out of Stanford. David Shaw and Sean Payton, you know, obviously it's different now, but David Shaw and Sean Payton were both assistants with the Eagles back in the day. So they have a connection. They can just text each other and he trusts David Shaw's judgment. So you draft Andrews Pete in the first round. You draft Paulson Adebo in the third round of the 2021 draft. And so like, that's why you see those kind of, those schools coming in. Tennessee is the new one. Tennessee has become the new Ohio State where you have, Alvin Kamara, Marquez Calloway, Alante Taylor. I think there's one other, Bryce Thompson. You know, so you, those connections start to start to become clear when you kind of map it out. And I think that's what you see with Ohio State. Jeff Nowak, host of Inside the Black and Gold podcast, joining us here on the Views from Mint Street podcast. A little NFC South Divisional rivalry pod going on as Carolina will host the Saints this Sunday at 1 p.m. I want to talk here, Jeff, about some individual matchups that may favor one team or the next, or individual factors, I should say. And one thing you mentioned just a minute ago that I think is key is turnovers, right? Uh, you go back to week one against Atlanta. 
Mark Ingram fumbled the ball. He did so again last week. You add that on top of Jameis throwing three interceptions. The Saints have certainly generated fewer turnovers than they've given away. Carolina, a very aggressive front seven and a front line that's that's I think it took a lot of criticism from week one and played significantly better in week number two against a very good Giants rushing attack. Giants had what, 270 some odd yards in week one on the ground. And then they held Saquon to, to 60 some odd yards in week number two. But the turnover battle in this game I think becomes very important, right? You go back to the game against the Giants for Carolina where you gave the ball away twice, the difference of field goal. If, if you're giving the ball away twice and you lose by a field goal, sans the logic that you could take those two, those two turnovers back and probably win that football game. New Orleans has turned the ball over. Granted, it's been pretty much Ingram and Jameis, but they have turned the ball over five times in the last two Six. Does that concern you going up against a Carolina front seven that has gotten better in week two at getting pressure, at stuffing the run, at getting into the backfield? Is that something you're worried about? They've actually given it away six times. So I think the turnover you are not uh, remembering is the, the the oddest one, which is Chris Olave catching a 51-yard bomb right. and, then that's right. and dropping the ball. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that's, that's not one you put on Jameis, right? Jameis actually made probably the best throw of the game and uh yeah anyway so they've given away six times but you know it averages out to three a game but this early in the season that's a very you know sample size nightmare because you had one in week one and five in week two um four of which came in the fourth quarter right they so you know if you're if you're counting that for the first six quarters of the season they have one turnover hey that's good you know if you, <laughs> so you know if you kind of can erase that fourth quarter but yeah, I mean, the turnover battle is always going to be a huge factor. The Saints got a turnover on Tom Brady in that game. They got a couple turnovers against the Falcons, and that really kept them alive, right? The one turnover that they gave up against the Falcons, they made sure it didn't hurt them because Marcus May was able to punch the ball out against, um, I can't remember who it was, but against the Panthers wide receiver there. And, you know, that's what Chris Richard, the Saints co-defensive coordinator, because they have a co-defensive coordinator system and a head coach who calls the defensive plays, figure that one out. But, uh, you know, the thing they've been preaching is contact fumbles, right? Not all turnovers are random. There's an element of randomness, but a lot of times it's because you get that perfect punch on the ball. You're holding a guy up and you're trying to strip it and being able to do that effectively can be the difference between winning and losing games, right? You saw that at the beginning of this Packers, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Panthers Giants game where they fumbled on their first two possessions and, the Giants never take advantage of turnovers, but they put six points on the board in those first two possessions based on nothing other than getting excellent field position on a turnover. And in a, what was, what was the score? Uh, 19 to 16. 19, 16. Yeah, in a, in a, yeah. In a field goal game, those turnovers are massively important, you know, and uh, that's what, when you look at a guy like Mark Ingram, that's the frustrating thing is, you bring in a veteran, you bring in a 32 year old running back, not because he's this dynamic running back, but because you expect him to be able to do this stuff in his sleep. He knows the importance of protecting the football. He, you know, you, you, you get nervous about young rookie running backs, putting them in there because you worry about them in pass protection. Well, he has also had really rough reps in pass pro in picking up blitzes where he's missed, especially against the Falcons. So like, that's the frustrating part to me is you, you bring in guys for a reason. They have a role. And then when you, you put the ball on the ground twice in two games, you're not picking up the blitz. You know, 
eh, that's that's the where you lose games because of that. And I think that if you go back and you look at when the Saints lost that game, it wasn't the three turnovers in the fourth quarter. It was that fumble when they were going in for points late in the third quarter because that would have changed how Tom Brady had to play that game. And instead, it created a scenario where Jameis had to try to go win it with his arm. And, you know, that's the frustrating thing is you beat yourself um, and then you double down on it. So turnovers are always going to be important. And uh, Jameis had done a good job kind of kicking that narrative to the side, you know, through through seven games and three quarters. He had a 16 to three turnover ratio in his time or touchdown interception ratio in his time as the starter for the Saints. (laughs) In one quarter, he managed to erase all of that. (laughs) And so, you know, I I think that that's more frustrating for him than anybody else because he knows about that. Everyone brings up the 30 interception season. He's well aware of that. And, you know, it's frustrating for a guy who has been good at protecting the football to suddenly be handing it over. And so, you know, whoever, I think that is going to be the story of this game is whichever team wins the turnover battle is probably going to win. We are talking to Jeff Nowak. He is the host of the Inside Black and Gold podcast, the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by Odyssey, available wherever podcasts are found. Make sure you check that one out. Uh, Overall, and Alonzo and I were talking a little bit before we, we brought you on, Jeff, and there are some some bright spots for Carolina, some things that Carolina could do better. If I ask you to give me the one place that you think Carolina has a has some sort of advantage or something Carolina is going to do this Sunday that will be able to take advantage of a weakness of the Saints and the alternative to that, like what is what is the Saints strength that matches up well with a Carolina weakness? What would you say are the, the, the things on both sides that you would place into that slot for this matchup? Well, you know, a lot of it comes down to the Saints run a 4-3 scheme, and that's a big part of why they've been able to be so stout against the run. They're, it seems like every team is either running a hybrid front or a 3-4, um, but the Saints are very, very devout 4-3, right? They have big defensive tackles in the middle. They, they have strong, fast defensive ends. So it makes it tough to run up the middle, right? You're not going to get a ton of ground up the middle of the field unless you kind of force them to take a step back and run some RPO action. And that's where we've seen the Saints struggle significantly is when teams, you know, when the Falcons with Marcus Mariota, when the Eagles with Jalen Hurts are able to run that RPO and kind of force the defensive back to stall and wait and kind of react, that's where they've struggled. So, you know, if, if the Panthers, you know, I know Baker has run some of that in the past, obviously you're two weeks in, so there's not a ton, you, you know, you, you can't really develop tendencies over two weeks, but, I have a feeling that you're going to end up seeing some RPO action out of the Panthers if they've been doing their scouting, because it's just something that the Saints have not handled well. Um, in terms of a matchup that, you know, that, so in the running game, that's that's where I would say that teams will be able to take advantage of the Saints. I also think deep shots down the middle, right? If anytime the Saints are trying to run single high, they are at a disadvantage because they don't have a, a true free safety. Uh, Marcus Williams was that kind of devoted center fielder over the past few years, and they brought in Marcus May and Tyron Matthew, who I think are really intriguing and a really good kind of tandem. But neither one of them, I would say, is an elite depth safety where you know you feel comfortable with them getting over the top. If you go back and you look at the one touchdown John Brady threw in that game, Marcus May was nowhere near where he needed to be. He was the free safety in the middle of the field, but he never got over to the only receiver going downfield. And you know that's where I think if you're going to make hay against this team, 
you need to get over the top and you need to challenge the safeties vertically. If you let them crash down, you're going to have a hard, te- a long day. Uh, and if you let Marshawn Lattimore and, you know, if Paulson Adebo plays, he's been out the last two weeks, but he has been back on the field in practice this week. It looks like he's trending toward playing. If you can, if, if you allow them to just lock up in man coverage and, and just free up, you know, seven defenders to just roam, then you're going to have a hard time making any hay in the middle of the field. So that's, I think you need to unlock it over the top, force the defense, force the DNs to kind of play the play the run on the way to the quarterback, and then you have a you have a chance to to really kind of run that defense off the field. But it's been easier said than done the last few years. This has been a very good defensive group, and I think if this team is winning games the way they should be, they're winning games on defense. We are talking to Jeff Novak, host of the Inside the Black and Gold podcast here on the Views from Mint Street podcast. Got a couple more minutes with you, Jeff. So, you know, you asked us on our pod. We gave you the answer. I'll give you here. I'll give you the chance to do the same here. Break this game down for me. A couple of minutes just on how you see it ultimately playing out and what's your final score for this one? I think this is going to be a take your medicine game. I think this is going to be a... You know, there was there was a game where the the Saints with Teddy Bridgewater went into Jacksonville and won 12 to 6. Might have been 13 to 6. But it was like it was a game where you knew that no one was scoring a touchdown. <laughs> and I think that that's what this game is going to be. You you have a team that really wants to be dedicated at not turning the ball over. They need to prove to themselves that they're not going to turn the ball over. They need to prove to themselves that they can let the defense win a game. And so I think that's what you're going to get. And so I'm going to go really low scoring. Like you said, low scoring, I think, in our predictions, and it was like 21-17. I'm going like 12 to 7, you know, 12 to 9 in that range. And I think that's how the Saints win this game. I think Will Lutz kicks four field goals. (laughs) And you move on. You survive in advance because I think that is what the Saints are desperate to do in this game is survive in advance, get to 2-1, and find a way to, to get back on the winning track, so that when you get to the middle of the season, you are not trying to, you know, push a boulder up a hill like you have been the last couple of seasons. Um, so, yeah, that's that would be my prediction is a t- bet the under is a uh, long story short there. Bet the under. Anything else for Jeff before we get out of here, Zoe? Uh, I got nothing, but I love your hat. <laughs> it is a sweet hat. The Odyssey, the Odyssey half, all Odyssey bros up in here today. Jeff Nowak hosts the Inside Black and Gold podcast. It is available where all Odyssey podcasts are found, talking New Orleans Saints. So for Panthers fans, good opportunity to go behind enemy lines. Lonzo and I sat in on their podcast, which I'm assuming will be available about the same time that this one is. So if you want to get this matchup from the Saints perspective, the Inside Black and Gold podcast is the way to go. Jeff, my man, been a pleasure. We got just a handful of weeks before we do it again down to the Big Easy. We'll have to get you back for that, my guy. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Appreciate it. You got it. Jeff Nowak from the Inside Black and Gold podcast here on Views from Mint Street. Lonzo, anything for the people before we get out of here and go watch some football on Sunday? We're going to be there. Come and see us. We're going to have fun. Keep pounding. Yes, indeed. We'll be at the game. So make sure if you do see Zoe or I, come on up, say hi. Zoe's a big hug guy. He loves good public hugs. No, no. So give my man a hug. Make him feel better. It was his birthday this week. He wants a birthday hug. 
We will see you guys in Charlotte. And of course, the next episode from Views for Mint Street will be our reaction pod that'll drop on Monday. Thanks again to Jeff Nowak for filling in. For Lonzo Reitzel, I'm Rob Brown. Make sure you tell all your friends and fam about the Views from Mint Street podcast, your home for Carolina Panthers talk on the Odyssey Network. We'll see you guys back here on Monday to do it all over again. Keep pounding, baby!